Welcome back to Musicians Versus the World. About a year ago, I sat down and had a great conversation with Jane Galloway, professional collaborative pianist, probably better known as an accompanist. I had it all edited and ready to share with you, and then COVID hit. Due to social distancing restrictions, recitals and performances were canceled, auditions went virtual, and many soloists turned to pre-recorded accompaniment tracks. Unfortunately, that meant many collaborative pianists, for one reason or another, had to find other employment. So it really didn't seem like the appropriate time to publish a show about how to work well with an accompanist. So I saved that interview. And now, with a light at the end of the COVID tunnel seemingly approaching, and with the music world somewhat learning how to adapt to social distancing, I think it's finally time to release this interview. Let's call it a Valentine's Day love letter to accompanists. I hope you enjoy it. Jane, thank you so much for being here to talk with us. I'm happy to do it. You kind of interchangeably call yourself an accompanist or a collaborative artist. What exactly is the difference between those two terms? Or is there a difference? Well, there is. And there are a couple of camps of, do we really need to have a name change? Or can we keep it an accompanist? But this is my opinion. I re- It doesn't really bother me either way. But accompanist sort of has connotation of anonymity yes or lack of recognition maybe even a lack of appreciation and that you work for somebody whereas a collaborative pianist or a collaborative artist you work with someone that changes the whole scene doesn't it working it really for does. somebody or working with someone mm-hmm. also the accompanist mm, moniker almost seems like subservient or a, like a secondary entity. I I played for a violist once who treated me like a boombox. It was just like, start here. Yeah. Okay, stop. Start here. It's like, I'm a person over here. Let's, uh, let's work together. And that did right. not make me feel good. Also, yeah. um, you know, at the end of a performance, even if it's with a little child, you need to get up and bow with them because you are a team and a lot of times the accompanist is not recognized at the end of a performance and that's sad it always makes me sad Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas okay a collaborative pianist sometimes they're called collaborative artists but you know sometimes collaborative artists are like two two visual artists who make a mural together so I I like the term collaborative pianist because then it just really uh zeroes in on exactly what it is that we do. We are equal partners, actually, with the performer. Right. You have done so many things. I didn't even know where to begin. So why don't you tell us about yourself? Well, I started piano lessons at age six, like a lot of people do. And uh, actually, my parents gave me the, the option of starting piano or violin because I was trying to pick out tunes on the piano. And they had heard that if you have a good ear, you would be a good violinist. And I was a practical child. And so I, I thought, well, we already have a piano. I guess it'll be piano for me. So my life could have been way different had I <laughs> decided to do something different um, and had some great teachers. Thank you, Miss Lucille, wherever you are now. She's probably long gone. Uh, but she really did teach me how to uh, um, 
appreciate and and honor the things that were on the page, even as a child. So I learned how to read notes very quickly. She made me write in every detail, um, the Italian and the English word. You know, every, Do you know how many times I wrote mezzo forte as a kid? I wrote it a <laughs> lot of times. But I learned how to, I learned all those musical terms. And you'd yes. be surprised at how many musicians nowadays, even in college, don't know the difference between, I don't know, minnow and pew. And I learned that when I was little. So that's fun. That's fun to um, actually, you know, bring that to the attention of the music students that they need to really honor what's on the page. Right. Anyway, I really liked piano lessons most for the most part until I hated practicing, (laughs) but uh, piano came pretty uh, easy for me. And as, as I uh, grew up and went to junior high school, the choir teacher found out that I could play. And so I became the choir accompanist. Seventh, eighth, ninth grade was really fun. Did the same thing in high school along with all the musicals. So I was the rehearsal accompanist for our musicals and in the pit for, you know, big time Broadway kinds of stuff. We did Fiddler on the Roof and we did Kismet and that's not easy music. Right. Uh, But it it was an identity for me and I was able to have great friends in music in high school and, and took piano all the way through and graduated from high school and went on to college and got a degree in piano pedagogy. At the time, the performance majors were on one track on the pedagogy. Students were on another track, and I really did not want to compete with those really hotshot, big-time piano performance majors. <laughs> they had bigger hands, and I, I don't have huge hands. And so Liszt and Rachmaninoff and all those they were killers. They really hurt. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I went to college and got a degree in piano pedagogy. I thought I'd be a great piano teacher, finished school. I accompanied all during uh, college. But when I finished school, I thought, okay, now I'm going to start my piano studio. And I taught for a couple of years and I, I absolutely hated it. It was horrible. I was the really? worst teacher. I want to go back and find every single one of those students and apologize to them. Oh, no. Ruining, ruining I'm sure you music. weren't bad. Oh, I probably wasn't bad, but I just felt like an overpaid babysitter, you know, and oh. I didn't know how to motivate the children uh, to practice because I didn't require motivation as a child. Right. And I had great teachers. So... Both my husband and I were self-employed, and so it became necessary for me to get a real job. So I ended up having a career in the in the computer industry as a technical writer for 21 years, but I kept music going on the side. I, looking back now, I thought, how did I do that? I'd play recitals at night, go to lessons at night, and then do my day job. It was pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Then my job went away. We were absorbed into another company and they closed our office here. So that day that I came home, I decided, well, maybe this is the time to really pursue music full time. That was a scary, scary step. Yes. Um, and that very week, this was in the summertime when nothing is happening mm-hmm. in the music field. And that very week, uh, a friend called and she said, you know, I've been thinking about doing a recital. Would you play a recital with me? You know, I'd like to do something this summer. Sure, absolutely, let's do it. And then a couple weeks later, somebody else called me to do a recital. And then the school year started, and I was off and running. 
doing accompanying full-time. And I've been doing that since 2004 full-time. Wow. That's fantastic. So do people just find you word of mouth or do you have some sort of uh, directories that, it, that you're on? Um, well, it is word of mouth now. And I, I know a lot of the uh, private teachers in town, you know, the violin mm-hmm. teachers and voice teachers, and they have seen me and heard me play and are aware of me. And so they recommend me to their students. They're really yes. my biggest agents are the private teachers. Mm-hmm. I don't really uh, have need to advertise anymore. But when I was first getting started, I really liked to play with violins, uh, the strings, all the string instruments, because I I thought, how did I do that? That's sort of magical what they do. Um <laughs> And, and I really enjoyed being with them because they were really nice people. You know, all those string players get to play with other people all the time. And so they know how to play with a pianist, mostly. Sometimes I have to teach them how to do that. I did forget something that was really, really important back when I was 15. So just barely in high school. The first time I ever accompanied a violin soloist, age 15, friend of mm-hmm. mine, she had to play for, I don't know, a festival or something, competition. She asked me to play for her and it was the Mendelssohn Violin Concerto. Oh, when you were 15. When I was 15, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> and nothing like starting at the top. I mean, that mm-hmm. that piece, do you realize how many people I've played that concerto for? Oh, how many? I, I don't know. If I had known that I'd been doing this for this long, I would have kept track. But I would say probably... 250 or 300 different violinists have played oh no kidding all or some part of that Mendelssohn violin concerto yeah well it's kind of nice you get to play the same piece so it's not like you're learning it brand new every single time oh well yeah that's the advantage of doing this you know for a living is you figure out which pieces are gonna be standard or you you know it's pretty it doesn't take too many times to play through a piece that, yeah, this is something that people are going to play a lot. What do you think is the most performed piece that you've played? Oh, besides the Mendelssohn Violin Concerto, uh-huh. I would say uh, the Brook Violin Concerto. Now, I specialize in strings. And this is, whenever I talk to college students about having a career as a as a professional accompanist or a collaborative pianist, I recommend that they pick an instrument family with music that they really enjoy listening to and playing. And for me, it was strings, but I'll play for anybody. I French horns, flutes, oboes. I've even done marimba and harp. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, if you spread yourself too thin across too many, and, and I mean, add in vocalists on top of all that, that is a lot of repertoire. There's so much music out there. There is so much. I think it would be impossible to learn all of it. It would be impossible to learn all of it. Mm -hmm. Now, what is it exactly that those professionals do that you respect so much? What makes a good collaborative relationship between two musicians? Oh, well, respect Mm -hmm. for what... I can do for them very often in the heat of a performance, especially, I don't know, with these professionals, they play hard stuff, right? They sure do. Um, 
and they might run into a little bit of a jam, like a memory problem or forgetting words or skipping the repeat or, you know, something that we had rehearsed, but did in the performance, it didn't go quite well. My job is to save the soloist from embarrassment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, my job also is to follow and to, to follow and direct at the same time, which is really hard and being recognized even in private. Thanks so much for saving my bacon when I forgot that repeat. And it's like, <laughs> well, you know, it's part of the job. It's, right. That's part of my job. Do you ever come into times where you disagree in interpretation or do you always go with what the soloist wants to do? You know, like for example, like lengths of staccatos or, you know, just stylistic things that may or may not be absolutely clear on the score. Have you ever run into anything like that? Oh, yes. Uh Uh-huh. Quite often. It kind of depends on how old they are. Okay. If it's a college student and their teacher has certain um, opinions about how things should be done. I always, always um, go with what the teacher wants to have happen. I won't. Right. I won't uh, say anything in the lesson or uh, go against what the teacher wants. But if it's up to us to make our own decision, this is the way that we that I have found works the best when there's a disagreement or like indecision on how we should do something. Okay, let's list the different ways we could do it. Maybe we come up with two or three different ways we could do it. Let's try, let's play option A and see if we like it. Okay, now let's try option B and see if we like it. Then we try option C and do that. And then we say, let's take a vote. Which one do we like best? And usually, I would say 99% of the time, one of those options clearly comes to the top mm-hmm. and and they see the light. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the one that I wanted Yeah. You may know a thing or two about what you're doing after 30 years. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And if you do it with a smile and make a game out of it, it's nobody's feelings get hurt. Yeah. It's yeah. Cause you're just working together to make the best product to make the best music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not, nothing's personal. No, nothing's personal. (laughs) What would you tell a beginning accompanist are things that make a really, really good accompanist? What's the thing that they should work on the most to make themselves the best accompanist? Get the ego out of the way. Mm. You're not a soloist anymore. And this is what I love about accompanying is I, I love to play, but I'm really not soloist material. I don't really want to be in the in the spotlight. And as a, as a collaborator, you still get to play, but you don't have all the pressure of being like the person in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. So get that ego out of the way and know that it's not about you, honey. It's about the togetherness. It's about the duo or the trio or helping the choir, whatever it is that you're, you know, accompanying. The second thing is to put your listening ears on and never stop listening. As a soloist, as a piano soloist, we are alone a lot. We practice alone. We go to our lessons alone. We compete alone. We perform alone. It's pretty lonely. That's why I like accompanying because I get to know all these really great people. 
I know mm-hmm. 200 people I played Mendelssohn with, you know? Um, <laughs> um, so when you are not playing alone, the skill that you have to have really is to open your ears and listen to what's happening with the other person. If they're faltering a little bit, then you slow down. If they are speeding up and they don't want to speed up, then you just play your rhythm a little more emphatically so that they can slow down. <laughs> or, or when you have your solo, like the tutti part in a concerto where the soloist is resting, then you can pull back the tempo uh, so that it doesn't get out of hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so get the ego out of the way, listening, um, can we have three in the top spot? Ego <laughs> listening and sight reading. Sight <laughs> Absolutely. reading is super important because you're going to be looking at lots of notes, lots and lots of notes. I'm going to tell you how I learned how to sight read. Well, my piano teachers taught me how to read notes, first of all. Right. But I really learned how to sight read when I played for the choirs in high school. When the director would put a new piece of music in front of me, and 60 of my peers are sitting around watching what's going to happen. I learned really fast to keep my eyes moving across. You know, I know rhythm very well. I, if I miss a note, I just keep the beat going in my head and come in where the next beat is. So that's where I learned um, how to how to sight read. Now, did she give you music with the tenor clef in it? Uh, no. No. Oh, my high school choir director did. <laughs> oh, I was like, oh my I, goodness, I can't sight read this. So now it I know wasn't, how, but. It, it wasn't the little, uh, it wasn't the treble clef with the little eight underneath it. It was the actual tenor clef. Um, yes, it, like it was the tenor clef. Three yeah. with the dots, yeah. Yes, yeah, I, yes. I, I don't read that clef. I don't read the, uh, the alto clef either. And I really haven't needed it. Yeah. In all these years, I really haven't needed it. Oh my goodness, I remember when my choir director gave that to me when I was in high school. And I just oh. looked at her and my jaw just dropped. And I thought, you want me to play what? Well, <laughs> I'll just do the best I can. Step. Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did the best I can. It, I'm sure it sounded her- terrible, but I practiced it and ended up being okay. Oh, good. But. Yeah, well, I feel for you. That is that is a scary thing. And I know that the kids, the kids, the students who go on for master's degree work in collaborative piano have to read be able to read those unusual clefs. Yes. I think what I ended up doing was I went home and I took a pencil and I ended up writing it in to the base clef, you know, like the, transposing the it down. Yeah. Oh, well, oh, not no, the note names, trans- but like I would, yes, I wrote the notes from that because it was on the four different lines. I took the notes from the tenor clef, the tenor line, and I just wrote them down with a pencil onto the bass line. So I could just do, you know, just look at the yeah. one staff rather than yeah. the two of them. Oh, that, I think that's great. Perfect. I think that's what I ended up doing. But anyway, <laughs> back to you. Um, okay. So just like from the business side of it, um, you go by word of mouth now. How do you decide how much to charge? That is a good question. And everybody can do their own thing. What I have found best that worked for me is to divide um, lessons and rehearsals from performances. Uh-huh. So a lesson and rehearsal those involve time. So I charge by the hour or by a portion of the hour for lessons and rehearsals. And then I charge a flat fee for a performance. So to play in masterclass, it's a flat fee or to play a competition, it's a flat fee or to play 
a partial recital, it's more because I'm playing more pieces, right? Mm -hmm. Or a full recital would even be more. Um, Plus on recitals, you know, I dress up and go early and stay late. So a full recital is not the same rate as a rehearsal. Of course not, right? Of course not, because that's where the rubber hits the road. And you want a good, solid person, you know, backing you up on your on your senior recital, you know, that you get ready mm-hmm. to graduate. And Absolutely. then, of course, I, tra- I do charge for travel outside of my own uh, little city. Mm-hmm. So let's say you get a phone call from someone saying, I'm doing an audition. How many rehearsals do you usually do with someone on average maybe just for an audition where they're playing maybe two pieces oh okay two pieces like maybe a college audition sure yeah okay okay uh it depends on how much they want to get together but really we only probably need 45 minutes to an hour Mm -hmm. um i just got through all the college auditions here in town and the local kids you know, I practiced maybe a couple times with them, but the kids who came in from out of town, they'd show up the day before the live audition. We'd have a an hour rehearsal, and then the audition was the next day, and they did just fine. Oh well, how did they find you from out of town? The violin professor recommends that they call me. Oh, that's nice. It's nice. I tell you, it's my agent. <laughs> you weren't kidding. You get yeah. from all over the place, and mm-hmm. then when they come back. After after they know, get accepted the to school, yeah. yes, uh huh. We already have, have a, a new client. relationship, exactly, and they are so grateful to you because you made them sound good in their college audition. Yeah, and they had some fun too. Now, do you have any memorable experiences of um, maybe a collaboration that you just absolutely loved or went absolutely horrendously or anything? Any sort of interesting story. <laughs> that may offer a lesson to a newly beginning accompanist or someone who thinks, oh yeah, I want to become an accompanist as a profession. Okay. Well, I'll give you one of each. Great. Yeah. So the worst, one of the worst things that happened to me is early on in my accompanying saga, I guess, had to do I played for a girl who was asked to play at her high school graduation third movement of the Brook Violin Concerto Mm -hmm. and I learned very early on that I did not like to use page turners because Uh and I hate to turn pages for other people don't ask me ever to turn pages for anybody (laughs) I don't I mean I'll do it in a pinch but oh I think that honestly is one of the most stressful jobs is being a page turner it is one of the most stressful jobs because you can really ruin the performance, make somebody nerve. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I learned that I did not want to have a page turner. So I devised this little plan that I would make copies. If there was an awkward page turn, I would copy a page onto cardstock, never on just a paper because card uh, cardstock's a little heavier. It won't blow off and have it off mm-hmm. to the side. And mm-hmm. then usually there's a place on that on that auxiliary page with a rest that I can go back and turn the book, you know, page in the book. Well, I forgot Mm -hmm. my page. And, uh, and so she said, Oh, I have the music too. And here we are high school graduation. So I had my book, which was one edition. 
and I had her book for the last page of her edition. Well, I didn't check. There was, there was discrepancy between where the page turns were. So when I got to the last page, it was told, I had no idea where I was. It didn't, it didn't flow from my edition to her edition at at the last page. And I finally, I mean, she had to play by herself for probably 16 bars before I could figure out where where to come in and here it was her graduation and all her peers were there you know and her family but we ended together I do remember that that was that was pretty bad I didn't like that that was great of her to be able to keep going yes that's that's kudos to her for for doing that which is what they absolutely should do so just beware not every edition has this page had the page turns in the same spot (laughs) Okay. Oh no. <laughs> That's a cautionary tale. <laughs> That's a good cautionary tale. Or make sure tale. you bring your auxiliary pages. You know, don't forget your music. Well, I have forgotten music eh, before and I've had things to happen. Go, uh, yeah. Have my husband bring me the music. <laughs> <laughs> That was that's not good either. That's not very pr- good professional behavior is to leave your music at home. <laughs> now I double and triple check. Okay, now the good yeah. on the upside long time ago in a land far away no i played for a, a young lady who studied violin and she lived in my same town um great player she grew up got married moved away um and i ran into her a couple of years ago at a summer event a summer suzuki training event and she she said i have this idea she remembered me from you know, 20 years before that. I mean, these are long, this is a long time. She had this idea. She wanted to take her students on a concert tour. And she said, it's called the Aloha Tour. And I thought to myself, Aloha Tour? She wants to go to Hawaii. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So this last October, I went with her and her students, 23 of her students, and we went to Hawaii and did six concerts over 10 days on her dime. Is Whoa. that, isn't that a neat thing for a pianist to That's be able to do? Amazing. Isn't that amazing? And this year we, she's applying to go down to Disney world, take her suit. Uh, these kids play great. They must. Yes. Mm-hmm. I figured. Yeah. They are well-trained and uh, she comes from a family that had a show in Branson. So she knows how to really put on a show. Mm-hmm. So that, wow. You have to be nice to everybody along the way. <laughs> you never know where you, life will take you. You never know where life will take you. It might take you to Hawaii for 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad place to go. Nope. Not at all. <laughs> that probably answers my last question, but oh, okay. I'll ask it anyway. Okay. Um, if you could go back to the beginning of your career, um, would you change anything or would you do, would you make the same choices that you made? Would you go into music again? I absolutely would go into music again. It is the most fulfilling and fun and enjoyable career that for me that I could have. And I think part of it comes from, I worked in the computer industry for 21 years and it was awful. It was, it was a a grind every day, the same. Now 
in music, I go to the universities in the morning. I'm playing Brahms and Beethoven. In the afternoon, I go to Suzuki class with these little four and five-year-olds that are just so cute. Or work with these high school kids who are super talented. Uh, and then do performances in the evenings. It's just every day is different. And I really like that. I'm working now with children of children I used to play with. So they've grown up and had kids of their own. So I have musical grandchildren now. This is really cool. Isn't that sweet? That is so fun. <laughs> or, or teenagers that I played with many years ago have grown up now and have their own studios and their own students. I play for them. It, it's very satisfying to me that they have recognized what I did for them and that I can do that for their own students as well. Even even without saying a word. I mean, I can just sit down and play with somebody and they can feel confident. They can feel the beauty of the music or the excitement of the music or the tragedy of the music um, without me even saying a word. But talking to them and getting to get their personalities. You know, there's some children that are very shy, even some grown-ups that are very shy and quiet and get them out of their shell and, and see them blossom as performers is amazing to me. Now, what I would do differently when I was really thinking about accompanying in, in college and I went to my piano professor and said, I've been asked to play the Schumann Piano Quintet. Here's the music. Can you help me with it? And he opened it up and he closed it up and handed it back to me. He said, no, you just do that on your own. I would find a piano teacher who is a proponent or a big champion for accompanying. I think I would Mm. definitely like to do that. And I would read some really great books of famous accompanists. Uh, Gerald Moore wrote a couple of wonderful books, The Unashamed Accompanist and Am I Too Loud, which is hard <laughs> to find because it's out of print, but it is a scream. Um, also, Martin Katz's book, The Complete Collaborator, and Robert Spillman's The Art of Accompanying. I would read those early on, definitely. There was one thing that I did want to bring up mm-hmm. um, that you don't you didn't know about, and I probably should have let you know, but I'm going to put a plug in for something that we have started here in our area. Um, You know, as a, as a, as an accompanist or a collaborative pianist, we're our own little Island. (laughs) You know, we have, we work in our own little areas, but I'd go to these competitions and I see these other people there consistently and we became friends. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, wouldn't it be great to network with these other pianists because when people call me for a job and I can't do it, I don't want to leave them hanging. I always give them somebody else's name and number and send them on their way. You know, I don't want to be the problem maker. I want to be the problem solver for them. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be able to network with these other pianists. So this last year we created an accompanist's guild. Oh. It's called the Collaborative Pianists Guild of Utah. The other pianists who were in the in the guild made me their president because it was my idea. Okay, that's fine. I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy to do that. I'm going to take the lead, be a leader here. Our vision is to provide tools for current pianists who are accompanying professional pianists, and also 
create opportunities for the next generation of pianists because we're not going to be here forever. And I have sat through so many poor performances where the pianists, even if I had just 15 minutes with them, they could have improved the performance and made it better for their soloist. Mm-hmm. So we're going to, we have meetings, we can train each other. Uh, we network, we have a, a website that has a, a directory. So if we can't do a job, we'll point people to our directory and they can find somebody else on the, on the list. Uh, we, we have professional accompanists as well as student accompanists listed. And uh, the, the really cool thing is that we're sponsoring a competition for young collaborative pianists this spring for ages 10 to 25 with cash prizes where pianists will go find a soloist could be instrumental or vocal. They work on their piece together. They come and perform at the competition and only the pianist is judged. How oh my that? goodness. Yep. It's a, it's turning the tables. Cause usually for us, we're always the one not being judged, you know, it's right. the singer or the, or the flute player, but now it's just the pianist being judged on their accompanying skills. What? Oh, I love no. that. Is that only for Utah residents or can out-of-state kids do this too? It's only for Utah residents. Oh, bummer. Okay. But if anybody in, <laughs> anybody in other states wants to start their own guild, you know, get in touch with me. I'll, I'll tell you how we did it, what we're doing. It gives you chills, doesn't it? It does me. <laughs> now, is there any last-minute things that you wish people knew about collaborative pianists that we haven't touched on yet? Yeah. We're people, too. <laughs> <laughs> And we're not just sitting around waiting for you to call. We are busy playing for other people. So you may only see us 30 minutes, 45 minutes a day, but realize we're doing that for 10 other people. So have some respect for the time. Have, and the yes, have some respect for our time. Don't wait to the last minute. I get so many texts. I know this is last minute, but, you know, and then they say what they have to, when they have to play. Can you play for me tomorrow? Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time and for all of these great stories that you have. (laughs) You're welcome. I appreciate you taking the time talking with us. So that is Jane Galloway, professional collaborative pianist and soon to be collaborative pianist teacher. Teacher. Yes. (laughs) Sign up for lessons. Mostly in the summertime when I'm not doing very much. (laughs) Right. Exactly. It could be a whole summer camp. Oh, hey, that's a great idea. Let's start one. I got in contact with Jane a few days ago just to check up on how she fared over the last year. It turns out Jane never actually stopped working, and she found ways to adapt during restrictions. She was able to make her home studio a quote-unquote safe studio using plexiglass, good ventilation, and masks so that her fellow musicians could safely rehearse or record with her as a live accompanist. Or she would use her digital piano and record her parts so that her clients who couldn't come to the studio could still play along with the recording of the pianist that they knew so well. I am happy to report that her Collaborative Pianist Guild of Utah competition moved to a virtual format last year with students submitting videos and it all came through beautifully. 
It went so well, in fact, that the Guild is planning their second annual Young Collaborative Pianist Competition for 2021. And anyone who's interested in that or in seeing videos of last year's winners can find them at the Guild's website, cpgu.org. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. This episode was hosted and edited by me, Christine Smith, and produced by Carolyn Wilkes. Special thanks to Jane Galloway for sharing her time with us and her fun stories and expertise. The music you've heard today includes the third movement of Bach's Violin Concerto No. 1 and Gula David's Viola Concerto Movement 3. Both were performed by Jane and Miriam Wagstaff. You've also heard Allegretto Capriccio by Giovanni Bottasini, and Jane is collaborating with Dr. Eric Hansen in that recording. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe so you don't miss out on any future conversations. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. If there is a topic you'd like to discuss, or if you have any tips on how you've been adapting during these past few months, come and chat with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or send us an email at info at Thanks so much. <laughs>